Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Hallelujah. 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 First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see the church, you see church, the wages of sin was death, but instead God gave us Jesus and he sanctified us, meaning he sacrificed his life to purify us, to set us apart, to deem us holy. And that's why he's our living hope. So if we could just give one more praise offering to our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. My name is Selena, and I am thrilled to see you this morning. Who is so thrilled to be here? I'm going to put this out. Um, Today is going to be a good day. Let me tell you why. Because today we are celebrating our church's eighth year anniversary. Can I get a round of praise for that? Um, So if you guys can do me a favor, happy anniversary, by the way. If you guys can do me a favor, there should be a connection card on your seat or next to you. I'm going to ask you to do a few things. Number one, if you have your connection card ready, wave it in the air like you just don't care. Faith and Oscar are doing a great job. All right, the next thing I'm going to instruct you to do is pause. Take a look at it. And the next thing, if you can do me a favor, if you could feel it out. Why? Why, you ask? Well, because this is our church's way of connecting with you. Whether maybe you have a prayer request this morning. Maybe you woke up and you were like, you know what? I forgot to fill out my life group card from last week. Maybe right now in this moment, God is telling you, to join a ministry. Or maybe you just have this inkling to just make a difference and be a, and be a difference maker. Or maybe it's your first time, your first time at Southridge. Any first time guests out there? Welcome! Maybe it's your second time here at Southridge. Whatever the reason be, we ask that you fill out this card because it's ultimately your way to connect with us, your church. So, if at the end of service you fill out the card, you can put it in the the basket that's passed around for offering. But, if it's your first time here with Southridge, we ask that you fill out the card. And we have some connection tables in the lobby. And if you would take it there, we have a first-time guest gift for you. Say that five times fast. First-time guest gift. First-time guest gift. So... Unfortunately, unfortunately, today is our, it concludes our series called Solid Ground. Unfortunately, because I really like this series. Uh, we know this series, and, we pr- and we've been praying and hoping that this series will change and challenge your perspective to build a solid ground for 2022. Please turn to your attention and join me while on the screen for a brief introduction. The road has been a long one. It's also been a tough one. Through it all, Southridge Church began to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And since it began eight years ago today, we have all been a part of living by that motto. We have seen countless lives saved spiritually through our weekly services, community outreaches, life groups, and just doing life together, day in and day out, through the good times and the bad. Speaking of the bad times, our church doors remained open for the vast majority of the pandemic, while almost all other churches around us closed their doors. We have always been a beacon of light for those who are lost and are searching for answers. 
There is real power found at Southbridge. Real power that can only be found if our church is blessed by God Himself. Even though we have been a mobile church this entire time, we have done some pretty incredible things for our church family and community in 2021 alone, including 10 outreaches, 17 baptisms, and 112 our new church building on our very own property here in San Jose, California. Southridge has been a source of hope and encouragement to people from all walks of life, and we strive to continue to do just that while leading people to find and follow Jesus for many more generations to come. Be a part of something miraculous. Be a part of Southridge Church. Amen. Good morning and welcome. Excited to see each and every one of you in this special day. You guys look great. I see a lot of red in the auditorium, like there's a game that's supposed to happen today at 3.30. Uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You came to church, so God's going to bless your team, okay? So whether that means your team is the Rams or the Niners, we'll see which one God loves more, okay? You will find out today if you're one of God's chosen. Just kidding. But today is our anniversary. We're excited that you're here. It's going to be a great day. We're excited. Uh, I wanted to lean over to Jane and be like, man, this is a whole lot different than it was eight years ago. All right. So we had a worship leader the morning of we were supposed to start and he got strep throat and he was like, I can't sing. And I was like, well, I'm speaking, so I can't sing. So I kid you not, there was a person who was a first time guest. I said, can you sing? <laughs> and he sang. I was like, all right, there you go. He, he never came back. I, I don't know why. <laughs> But it is awesome to see what God is building eight years later. This is exciting. Each one of you are an answer to prayer. Each one of you is a part of what God is doing here. We're so grateful you're here today. It's going to be a special day. We have baptisms going on today. Uh, we are concluding this series. We are kicking off this week. It's going to be a great week. we got a marriage conference starting on Friday. We'd love to invite you to. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you want to sign up for that, it'll be in the back. You'll hear more about it. Also, last week we gave out a book entitled Kingdom Builders. And I was surprised, gratefully, that we ran out, but we have some more on the back table. So if you didn't get a copy, grab a copy of this book. Uh, I've already heard from people that finished it already. It was a blessing to them. And especially at this season where God has our church, I believe this book will encourage you. So if you want to grab a copy, that'd be great. And then somebody gave me a really cool gift this morning in our huddle. And I love it because it's so true. It says, Pastor on the mug. Okay, this is an anniversary gift for me. It says, Pastor, and then it says, Warning. Anything you say or do could be used in a sermon. And that is so true. So anything you say or do, I probably will use in a sermon. So I, I love that. Thank you guys so much for that gift. I think that is super cool. Uh, just love it so much. Well, let's dive into God's word this morning. If you have a copy of your Bible, turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew 16. I love this passage because this is where we see this idea of the church introduced for the very first time in Scripture. Now, throughout Scripture, you can see that God's presence was always felt. You would go to uh, Abraham, and he went to a place called Bethel, which means the house of God. And there, Abraham would meet with God. You would see that Isaac also would go to Bethel and meet with God. So there were places where you would find God's presence, but there's a new concept that Jesus is going to introduce in Matthew 16 to his disciples, to his inner group, the 12, that he's going to introduce to them. 
And I love the church. My dad was a pastor, so I grew up in the church. Uh, church for me is kind of life, all right? I mean, it's so much, so, so a part of my life. My earliest childhood memories, a lot of you would say, yeah, my earliest memories is uh, when I ate this, or when I was at Disneyland, or when I disassembled my crib at 18 months old, you know, whatever your, your earliest childhood memories are. You know what mine are? They had to do with the church nursery. Like, those are my early childhood memories, all right? Because my parents were old school. We went to church for Sunday school at 9 a.m. Then you had big church. And then you had, you came back Sunday evenings for Sunday evening church. Oh, and then on Tuesdays, you had midweek visitation uh, where you go visit people in the church. And then we came back on Thursday for midweek prayer meeting. Oh, and then you had youth group. And then on Saturday, you did Saturday outreach. And so it was just like almost every day I was in church. Well, that first memory that I have of nursery is actually not necessarily the best memory of nursery because I was stealing from the church nursery offering. That's my earliest memory is me seeing a bunch of money and me being like, yeah, I'm a broke pastor's kid. I'm taking that. And then not being very smart, I went and bragged at everybody in the church. I was like, check out all my money. I am loaded. All right. I got so much money. It's great. So that was an early memory. I mean, church is all about everything in my life. Even when I turned 12, we had a visiting evangelist. My dad would have these guest speakers. They would stay at the church property, and they would bring a fifth wheel, and we would do a week-long evangelism conference. And it was just every night there was church. Uh, we just kind of lived at church. And so uh, I was good friends with the evangelist's son. We were about the same age. And so it was my birthday, and he was like, hey, let's sleep in the church nursery. And I was like, why the church nursery? I have no idea. But they, they, my friends and my brother, we all were like, hey, this is a great idea. So we got Little Caesars Pizza. And this is, uh, some of you, they might remember the soda. There was Jolt back in the day. You had some Jolt. And so we were like, yeah, we're going to drink Jolt. We're going to eat Little Caesars. And we're going to watch the Star Wars uh, trilogy. The OG, the original, the good one. And uh, we, we stayed up all night. We watched that. And, uh, you know, I actually have a lot of memories about church nurseries. First time I made out with Jane was in a church nursery. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We were both three, you know, and it was okay. No, just kidding. But uh, I love church nurseries. I don't know why. Just good memories of church nurseries. But I love the church more. So it was a surprise, surprise to me when I felt like God was leading Jane and I to start a church. That actually was probably very low on the list of things that I felt God wanted me to do for my life. But yet part of the decision to launch and start a church is birthed out of this passage because the church is so near and dear to the heart of Jesus. You know, this morning, there will be about 120 million Americans who are going to church. 120 right now. There might be a few less that are like, I got to warm up for that Niners game, so I'm not going today. I'll catch it online. But for roughly in America, it's about 120. You got to think sinners. That's a Raiders fan right there. That's all that is. So you got to understand that our country is about a little over 300, 300 million Americans. So one third of America still goes to some type of a church. Globally, in the world, there will be about 2 billion people that went to church this morning. Church still has a place in society and culture. It's important. But church oftentimes gets confusing because what is church? We would probably maybe have this conversation this morning like, hey, we got to go to church. But church isn't actually a place. We think of it as a place, but church is not a place. 
The church acts like an institution, but the church is not an institution. Although sometimes you think that person should be institutionalized. No, we are not an institution. The church carries out events, but we're not an event. So what is the church? Because if it's not a place, then how do I say that I'm going to church? Because it's not actually a place. You see, I love this idea that the church is actually the spiritual family of God. That's what the church is. It's God's family. We are God's family together. And so we see that that's what the church is. But what does the church do exactly? You say, I know we gossip. No, no, no. That's a bad thing. We need to quit that. I know what we do. We judge everybody who's not inside the church. No, we don't do that. We need to stop doing that. We hate on people who aren't like us. We need to stop that too. Okay, let's look at some positive things. We're to tell the world about Jesus and his love. To bring hope. To bring life. To bring awareness that there's the joy in having a relationship with Jesus. Not that our life is perfect, easy, better than others, but it is blessed. And we do know that we have a faithful and constant friend who sticks with us. So we see that we now know what the church is, what the church does. And I love this from Pastor Tony Evans. He said this, the church is to represent heaven throughout history. Today, you and I are hearing about the possible invasion of Ukraine by Russia. One of the first things that our country, United States, did was to pull out all of our ambassadors out of the embassy in Ukraine. One of the first things. But what is an embassy? An embassy is sovereign territory from that country in another country. So if you and I were in Ukraine and we were like, hey, I need to get to America. If you go to the embassy, you're in America. You say, I'm confused. I thought I was in Ukraine. No, that is the sovereign territory of its home country. The church is an embassy. We are citizens of heaven and we are on this planet as ambassadors to a world that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know hope, faced with depression, faced with suicide, faced with addiction, that we are that embassy that if you need help, you need hope, you need life, you get to the embassy. You go there and that's where you find everything that you need. We are to represent heaven throughout history. So we know what the church is. We know what the church does. But let's dive into Matthew 16. Notice verse number 13. The Bible says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist, your cousin. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Those are all great compliments, by the way. I mean, John the Baptist was a great prophet. They believe he was almost as reincarnated Elijah. Elijah was a revered prophet. Then there's Jeremiah or some other prophet. Here's the thing about culture and Jesus. Culture will say complimentary things about Jesus, but they're not correct. And Christians will say complimentary things about Jesus that are not correct. It is paramount for you and I that we understand who Jesus is so we understand what the church is. Yes. Because the church is Jesus' bride. Yes. 
We're his. We're part of a spiritual family. And I know that's kind of maybe if you're new to church, some weird language. But understand, it's important that Jesus asked this question because it's a leading question. It's almost like Jesus is leading the witness on the stand. He's asking a question to help educate them and bring them along. To help them to understand the church, you have to understand Jesus. Because there's a whole lot of churches that don't have any Jesus. There's been a slew of moral failures across the countries by pastors. Where was Jesus? He wasn't there. There was a slew of churches who have turned a different direction and started focusing their attention on other issues that are not necessarily wrong issues, but they're not biblical issues. And they've lost sight of that. And we are supposed to be about our father's business because we're the spiritual family of God. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you first need to know who I am. How sad would it be that there'd be people that you attend church faithfully every Sunday, except if the Niners go to the Super Bowl, then I know I'm not going to see any of you. All right, so I'm going to preach extra long the Sunday before that, okay, just to make sure you get a good dose. But we'll excuse you on that one Sunday if they make it to the Super Bowl. You are excused. You're absolved. But understand that we have got to come back to this idea that we know who Jesus is. And so, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Okay, I get it. Culture, they're going to get who I am. They're going to get it wrong. But you guys, you got to get it right. And this is what's the struggle because there are Christians that don't get who Jesus is. Because we're really good at making Jesus something that he's not. And so in verse 15, he says, okay, that's who they say. But who do you say? And then verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Christ was a title, meaning Messiah. Jewish culture didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But here he's saying, hey, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've waited for. That's who you are. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Get this. As you study this passage, here's what actually happened. When Jesus is saying flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, it wasn't like Peter just had this stroke of ingeniousness. That all of a sudden his classes of studying the Torah that you would have to do as a young Jewish boy till the age of 12, you would go study the Torah and you'd have to memorize the first five books, the Pentateuch, word for word. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Can you imagine memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy from rote memory? That's what you'd have to do. Did he have a flashback of those five books? No, Jesus is saying, God spoke through you just now. That's what happened. God used Peter and spoke those words through Peter as if Peter didn't even know. He was so subtle. See, God wants to work through you in the most subtle ways where he just flows through you. Notice this. And I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy and celebratory spirit that we can have. But we thank you for this idea of the church. This is the greatest thing that we could possibly imagine. That we get to represent heaven throughout history. Bless the reading of your word. May you use it to stir, convict, and challenge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The backdrop of Jesus speaking about the church is an interesting backdrop. The Bible says that in the first verse we read that he was at Caesarea Philippi. Jane and I were there in 2010. I was always curious to see what was Jesus talking about? Because when I went to seminary, they were like, oh, when Jesus talked about upon this rock, he was looking at something like El Capitan, Yosemite, and saw this massive rock. So that's what I picture I had in my mind. Then I went to Caesarea Philippi, and I was like, huh, that is nothing like El Capitan. It's much smaller. It's a rock. It's a mountain. But it's not something that would just blow you away because it's just like El Capitan. No, it's not that. But what it was, there's a, a series of pools and rivers and waterfalls, and it had hollowed out a part of what you could consider a very miniature, like if Las Vegas wanted to put in Half Dome on the Strip, this would have been about that size, okay? You got the uh, Eiffel Tower, Statue of Liberty, and then you got the Las Vegas Half Dome, okay? It's just small, but inside of it, there was carved out this cave, and they believed that that was the birthplace of humanity. Now... Not Christians, but the pagans believe that this was the birthplace of humanity, that this is where it all started. This is actually a very pagan area. It was an area where there was lots of false deities, where they would sacrifice and offer up to idols, where you would uh, uh, present children to, uh, as human sacrifice. It was a very pagan area. So imagine coming to this area, and you're Jesus, and you're standing literally at a terrible place that represents a lot of demonic activity, a place that is just filled with wickedness, and then you saying, hey, upon this rock I will build my church. I think that is just awesome of Jesus to make that flex. That it's like walking into Satan's house and saying, hmm, yeah, I'm going to start the church right here. Because this is what needs it the most. That's the backdrop setting that Jesus says, yeah, Satan's got his temples. He's got his false things. But Peter, hey, James, John, gather around. Matthias and the other eight apostles that we don't remember your names, come on over here. I want to tell you about this idea called the church. But Jesus used a word that they had actually all heard, ecclesia. Do you know the ecclesia we think is this very Christian word? And then the disciples, when they heard Jesus say it, actually were like, huh, what? Because ecclesia actually was more, it was used all the time in that day and age. What do you mean you're doing an ecclesia? We know what ecclesia is. It just means a gathering of people. We get that. Like, like if you live in a place that has an HOA. And you're like, hey, guys, Friday night, we got our ecclesia, our gathering. We're going to raise your rates on this HOA. Yeah, yeah, this is the biggest racket. Like, whoever invented HOA, this guy's like, they're going to own the house, and we're going to charge them. But is that legal? Who cares? They're going to pay, like, $300 extra a month on top of their mortgage, and it's going to be great, and everybody's lawn's going to look great. So, HOA. Ecclesia, we're going to gather. So in the disciples' mind, they're like, an ecclesia, that doesn't sound very original, Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold on, you guys need to understand what I'm talking about. And Peter starts to get it, and he writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And he says, when we come together as living stones, building up a household of faith. You see, what ecclesia means is that we come together, all of these rocks coming together to film one, form one big rock. That is the spiritual family. See, we're all rocks. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, my mom always said I was dumb as rocks. No, no, no. You are a rock. But when we come together, we make a much stronger rock. See, here's the thing about the church. What makes Southridge special is not that we have preaching. And I hope you appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope it's something that ministers to you. And I hope it changes lives. 
But that's not what makes Southridge Southridge. I love the worship that we hear, heard this morning. I love what God is doing through our worship ministry. I love the leadership that God has been. But that's not what makes Southridge Southridge. I love Ridge Kids, our children's ministry that's happening across the way. It is exciting. Your kids would love it. It's great. But that's not what makes Southridge Southridge. I love our small groups. If you're not a part of a small group, you're just missing out. That's all I got to say. Join a small group. I love our small groups. But Southridge is not Southridge because of small groups. I love our ministry teams. Our ministry teams are amazing. They're some of the nicest, friendliest people. They work so hard. They do so much. And they're behind the scenes. You would never know that all of this didn't just happen. There was meetings and plans and preparation and work and hours and blood, sweat, and tears to make this happen. But they come together. But that's not what makes Southridge Southridge. What makes Southridge Southridge is you. It's the people. Yeah, the idea was formed in Matthew 16, birthed through a dream that God gave Jane and Micaiah, but ultimately the church is made up of you. You are what makes Southridge special. That's why I don't understand why people want to leave. I'm like, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about when people come here, they say, wow, I can't wait to go to heaven because I love Southridge. Like, I'm just looking forward to heaven. If, if, if heaven is... Anything close to what Southridge will go, wow, I can't wait. This is going to be great. Because that's what God wants for Southridge. That's what God wants for us. See, the ch church, though, let me go back to verse 15. I'm getting ahead of myself. The church is trying to answer this question with words of who Jesus is. But if we're going to show the world how good church is, we need to stop answering the question of verse 15. Who do you say that I am with words? And we need to start answering it with actions. You see, my wife likes to hear me say, "Hun, I love you. But you know what she likes more than hearing, "Hun, I love you? It's when I do eight loads of laundry for our family. She's like, now I know he loves me. Or when I make her little protein drink before she goes to the gym at 4.30 in the morning, like who is crazy to go to the gym at 4.30 in the morning? You know, the least I can do is make your shake because she's not making me go. So as long as her shake's there, excellent. That's great. Good deal. She knows that I love her when I do the dishes. She knows that I love her when I take care of the kids. It's not the words. The words help, but it's actually the actions. You see, our culture around us keeps hearing Christians say, we love you, we love you, we love you. And we don't tip, we cut you off, we give you the bird, you know, we just, we're just nasty neighbors, we're just mean, we're irritable, we, we, we show up late, we leave early, we, we're not true to our word. Like all of a sudden, uh, people are scratching their head that see Christians like, yeah, I, I thought you guys are supposed to be about actions, not just words. You guys say you love everybody. Your mo slogan is leading people to find and follow Jesus. But then the only time I hear you talk about Jesus is when you stub your toe and you say, oh, gee. that's the only time we hear you say it. You see, the world wants not a declaration, but a demonstration of love. But here's the great thing. It's to start in this room among us. That the way I treat you, the way I greet you, the way I ask about how your week is going, the way I check in and see how your life is going. You see, that's what I don't understand. When people leave, they were like, well, I like these amenities, this. And I'm like, you missed the point about what the church is. It's a family and we take care of each other and we look after each other. So what you're chasing over there is like, I don't just, 
Like, oh man, I had a rough week with my family. I'm going to go look for a new one. You know, just knocking down the street, you know. How's your family? Can I check in your family? Mine's dysfunctional. And they were like, so's ours, you know. You see, but people will stay at a church that says, you know what? We're not just about words. We're about actions. The church is this great place where we can demonstrate how the church is supposed to be. We're the greatest force for good. You see, when people miss Southridge, I want them to miss Southridge. And it's not because of, like, oh, this message and this worship. I want them to be like, man, I miss seeing Faith and Oscar greeting me when I show up. I miss rich kids. My kids are asking and screaming for it all week. I miss seeing Pastor Meese greet me. I miss getting a hug from DJ Curtis. I, I want people to just miss it. I want people to miss not just this, but all of it. Because this is a family. And you take all of it. It's not just something we consume. Here's the second thing. Verse number 18. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The church is not an exhibit about God. It's where we experience God. See, God wants to build something inside of you and I. He's building something. That's an experience. But yet some of us have treated it into just kind of show and tell. Like I just kind of show up and I just kind of watch what's happening. It's not an exhibit. This is not a museum where you just walk in and I'm just going to open up the Bible and say, hey, you know, in the Greek and the Hebrew, it says this. No, no, no. We want you to encounter God. I want this to be a place where you look forward to it because you meet with God, where you meet with God's people, where it is a time of refreshment. It's an oasis. It's a place where you're like, man, if I can just make it to church on Sunday, my week's going to be a whole lot better. If I could just make it to Southridge on Sunday, I know that I'm going to be encouraged and I'm going to be inspired. You see, there should be no passive participants in the church. You see, this place is great and it's wonderful because of its people. It's the people like you that make it great. It's the people that showed up that first Sunday and were like, it can only get better from here, right? And they're like, yeah. But the way things get better is when people say, I can make it better. I went to a seminary where the president of the seminary would always say this. He would say, see a need, take the lead. And it was his acronym because too often we just kind of like, I wish somebody would do this. Instead of saying, hey, no, I can make this better. I can figure this out. I can change this. I can make the difference. I can be involved there. You see, our church is better because of you. And if you're looking for a church, you would make us better by being here. You would. I love our church. We're as diverse as San Jose is. We have people from every different background. Every different walk, socioeconomic, every different age, every different background, different countries. We reflect what heaven's going to look like. And this is what God wants to build. God wants to show the world that, guess what? There can be equality. There can be justice. But it, look to the church, not to the politicians. My friend, God does not skip the church house to fix the White House. God starts with the church house. He says, how about God's people right here, right now? How about we get back to what he wanted for his church? And his church is never to be an exhibit. It's not something we just show up on Sunday and take in, consume, and check it off the week. God wants you to experience something. He wants you to have a part. 
But then notice if you would also verse number 18, and I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You see, the church is not to be afraid of hell, but hell should be afraid of the church. Notice the end of that verse. It says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. I'm a really sore loser. I don't like to lose. I am that person. If you play me Monopoly and I am losing and I only have Baltic and Park Place, I'm flipping that board over and I'm walking out and you clean up the pieces. I'm not doing it. But I think too often we're, we're okay with the church losing. I'm not okay with seeing one more family broken up. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with alcohol claiming one more victim. I'm not okay with drugs taking one more person. I'm not okay with one more person living in bondage. I'm not okay with one more young person being confused about who God made them, about their gender. I'm not okay with that anymore. And the church has to say, we're not okay with that anymore. That we have to say, no, we need to help people. We need to guide people. We need to step into their life and say, guess what? God has a great plan for you. You're a part of the family. And the family says, we look out for each other. Hey, Vin Diesel got it. They're in like Fast and the Furious, like 29. The dumbest movie I ever saw. Like, take my brain out, smash it against the side of the plane. Dumb movie was the latest Fast and the Furious franchise. They went to space, y'all. Like, that was just, I was done. Yeah, you lost me. Like, I like cars. I like, yeah, I'm sorry. You come to church, I tell, I've ruined movies for you. All right? But understand, why is it that culture gets family, but the church is like, oh, no, 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 I, no. I don't sit by that person. I don't talk to that person. No. What should happen is every Sunday after church, you're looking for somebody. Who doesn't have anybody to go to lunch with? Let's go to lunch. Let's hang out. Let's grab a coffee. There should be changing numbers. Changing numbers. Exchanging numbers. Hitting, <laughs> hitting people up on direct message. Sliding in the DMs. Wait, no, that's something else. Never mind. Hold on. Don't do that. Don't do that. Swipe right. Let No, just stop. Let's get back to the word. But understand, in this passage, it says the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. If you have a Bible, would you underline or circle or highlight the word gates? A couple of things about that word. Notice, first of all, that gates aren't like what we would think of gates. I got gates on either side of my house that keep my husky sometimes in. Most of the time, not. She looks at my gate, and she just kind of looks at another dog, hold my beer. You know, that's what my husky does to my gates. Gates mean nothing to her. My husky has made it to San Francisco, all right? It just, and I live here. My husky just, uh, just an escape artist, all right? But I have gates. I don't know what they do, but we get the idea of gates. In ancient civilization, the gates was the only way in, the only way out. We think of it as a strategic, defensive piece of equipment. And that's the way I always thought about gates. But understand that that's not what this is talking about. Because I always heard preaching that was like, the church is always be on offense. We're never on defense because we're supposed to take the gates and gates are defensive. We're always on offense. We always win, win, win. We're like the Niners. We're going to beat the Rams for the eighth time, you know, and it's just keep on going. Only problem is that's totally not true. That's, that's not at all what the pastor is talking about gates. You say, what do you mean? Well, you kind of have to go through the entire Old Testament to get this framework, but I'm going to do it really fast. If you were to study the book of Ruth, Ruth wants to marry a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. 
But Boaz has to take care of something. He has to buy land, and then he has to redeem, be the kinsman redeemer, and redeem Ruth. Scripture tells us where he went to go take care of that business. At the city gates. That's where he went. You see, city gates throughout Scripture were not always a defensive weapon. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of the people from King David because he sat at the gates and says, my father doesn't have time to talk to you, so talk to me at the gates. Proverbs 31, the Bible talks about that Proverbs 31 woman says her husband is known at the gates. So what's up with all the gates? Like, were they the guy that controls the little portcullis thing and makes it go up and down? Is that what's about the gates? No. Gates are where all legislative and legal business happened. That's what happens at gates. You see, gates is where Satan comes up with his strategies to go after you and I. So here's what Scripture's actually telling us. Scripture's actually telling us the church is going to crush the place where Satan comes up with the strategies to attack us. That's what it's all about. So when you see the church, we are not to be afraid of hell. Hell is actually afraid of the church. But here's the church just like, oh, man, we need to be on offense. Hey, hey, let's just circle the wagons. And, oh, we can't meet. We can't gather. And we can't do any of that. And we've got to hide. And we can only do the Zoom thing. And I don't really have to watch. I can watch the game. I can multitask. And I'm not really there. Not really involved. Not really growing. As a matter of fact, I'm backsliding. As a matter of fact, I don't even go to church anymore because that's what I bought the lie of the culture. And I don't understand that God has called me to be advancing the gospel because suicide has gone way up. We see alcohol and drug abuse and we see uh, divorce. All these things go way up. But yet the church is like, no, 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 we can't meet. We can't be the family. Like there's scary things going on, but we can't be the family right now. No, no, the church always is the family. We have each other's backs. We're looking out for one another. And we go after the seat of power. We go after the seat of Satan's power. And Satan should never feel safe in San Jose. He should never feel safe in Santa Clara County. He should never feel safe in the Bay Area. Satan should be like, here comes Southridge, let's run. Demons, we gotta go somewhere else. Let's go to the Central Valley where it's hot and it's closer to home. That's where we need to go, all right? Because the Southridge church is there in the Bay Area. They've taken over the Bay Area. We're losing our good weather, all right? It's cheaper for the housing prices anyway. Come on, demons, let's go to Central Valley. But where's the church? Church attendance is declining. I was disappointed last year we only baptized 17. And so we have Hal, who's going to be here this next weekend. Don't miss it. Be here. Don't miss it. It's going to help our relationships. And he was like, are you kidding me? You baptized 17%? He's like, that's huge. He's like, you know how many churches didn't baptize anybody during COVID? COVID, we're coming up on March, almost two years. Isn't that crazy? Two years of our life. Like Princess Bride, I just sucked two years of your life away, you know? <laughs> just gone. And he's like, nobody baptized. But you guys baptized 17. You saw people saved. You guys bought six acres of land in the Silicon Valley. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. That's awesome. And the miracles God is doing on that land is just exciting what God is up to. So we need to step back and say, God, you are doing something. So I'm not afraid of Richard Dawkins, the atheist. I am not afraid of Voltaire. I'm not afraid of Joseph Campbell, Noam Chomsky, Siegfried Freud, Christopher Hutchins, and the list could go on and on and on. We need to stop being afraid of people who want to challenge the church. The church says, no, no, no. Jesus told us that Satan should be afraid. And so now we go after what God has told us to go after. I love verse 18, though. 
You say, all right, I get it, Pastor Kai. You're all worked up, man. I don't know what's in that mug. You're all excited at your anniversary. That's great, man. Life's hard. I need a job. My relationship isn't going well. And uh, I'm not very feeling very good. And I'm not feeling like I could go after Satan's seat of power. As a matter of fact, Satan just worked me this week. And I feel totally defeated and worthless. And I didn't even know if I could make it here. It took everything I had just to get to church here. And you probably won't see me till next year because I can only handle so much. I know. It's hard. So Jesus in the same passage does something. He says Satan has gates. But Jesus gave Peter something. Scripture helps us. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth. I don't know if you've circled that word whatever. (laughs) That's a good word right there in the Bible. That word is very broad. It covers a lot. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. I had you circle the word gates, but I need you to circle the word keys. Gates is plural. And you say, yeah, I feel like Satan just got all kinds of places just set up. Places of power. Because Satan doesn't just have one, guys. You know that. Satan is setting up anywhere he can get in. He's got in Hollywood. I know that's an old preacher term, God Hollywood. Don't be watching Hell's Box Office, you know, Skinamax, you know. I got a list. I could just go on. This is how I grew up, y'all. I went to church nursery, man, church nursery. Call back. And man, you just see that Satan just sets up in our education system. Parents, watch out what they're teaching your kids. Oh, man. It's hard. They get in places of government. They get places of work. Some of you can't talk about that you go to church and you serve God and that you love the church at your job. You can't talk about it with your friends. It just seems like Satan's everywhere. And what what does God's people do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's how we started the series, right? And you feel like that. You say, what do I do? It seems like Satan just has gates everywhere. And Jesus is like, I know. And I love the fact that Jesus said, Satan has gates. But what do you open a gate with? What do you open a gate with? What did he give to Peter? Which is a picture reference. I know Catholic. If you grew up Catholic, you got all screwed up on this. You think only the Pope has keys. No, no. This is a picture of the church. This is a picture of what you and I have. We have keys, my friend. You got keys. And it's not just saying, hey, for one gate. No, you got keys. What are you struggling with? What's the gate in your life? God's like, I got a key for that. What are you struggling with? What, what's your gate that you just say, Pastor, you don't understand. My gate is locked up tight. It is locked up. There's nothing I can do about this gate. I have struggled this since I was 12 years old. I have struggled with it because I was abused by my parents. I was struggling with it because nobody taught me about finances. I've been struggling about this because I grew up with atheists. I've been struggling with this because I've been hurt by every church I've ever attended. I've been hurt by every person I've ever been in a relationship with. There's all these gates in my life, and I feel like I'm just bound by all these gates. There is not enough keys but the problem is, Jesus is like, no, I got a, I got a key for that. <laughs> All right, get ready for this. This is a groan moment. This is a master lock. 
but the master knows how to unlock it. Come on. There you go. There you go. Come on. Come on. Give me my moment. Give me my moment. Just one time. Come on. The master knows how to unlock it. You can grow later. I knew that was all for you. That was all for my wife. There was a whole lot of brands, but this morning at Lowe's, I was like, yeah, the master. Yeah. It's going to be great. I do it for the likes, the retweets, the reposts. Here's the thing, though. Here's what I love. It doesn't matter how big the gate is if you have the right key. Think about that. In China, they built something that they say you can see from outer space, which is actually not true. You can't see the Great Wall from outer space. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Women are keep silent in the church. I thought was in the Bible somewhere. I don't know. Let's go find it. Church discipline. Help me out. But they built this wall 50 feet high, 20 feet wide, 14 feet, 40 feet thick. For a hundred years, though, China got invaded three times. The wall didn't matter because you just had to bribe the person at the gate. (laughs) You just get in. It didn't matter how strong the walls were. What mattered was how strong the character of the person guarding the gate was. That's it. But here's the thing. You and I aren't guarding the gate. I know this is going to really, you're going to lose a lot of respect for me, but this is a Raiders key. It was given to me. I did not wish it. I would not choose it. I'm just trying to identify with other people. All right. Just trying to be inclusive. All right. Keys represent something bigger than just keys. It represents ownership. Mm, that's true. That's good. It represents ownership. Mm-hmm. It's the key to my car. Keys to my office. Keys to I don't know. Because we all have those keys. We just don't know what they're for. But we might need it one day so we don't take them off. You just don't know. But when I walk up to my car and I put the key in, nobody's like, arrest that man. No, it says I have ownership. Jesus handed us the keys. You have ownership. This is what's happening to the church. We feel so weak and so defeated and so feeble because we don't realize the authority that God has given to his church to gain and take ground. You and I aren't looking at gates and locks. We are looking at keys and saying, Satan, do whatever you want, man. I got the keys. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for my marriage. I'm coming for my kids. I'm coming against every addiction. I'm coming against sin. I'm coming against these things in the name of Jesus and by the keys that he has handed to us, by the authority of the church, and he handed it to the church, which is a gathering of stones. So it's not to pastors and deacons and and, and staff. No, this is to every church member here today. You have the authority to march into areas in your life and say, Satan, no longer. You've lived here long enough. It's over. You see, a gate is no good if you have the key. The gate does Satan no good. 
Because you have the key. How many of you for years you've been looking at gates and you've let those gates defeat you and destroy you? And all the time, Satan never wanted you to reach into your pocket and go grab that key. He wanted you to never reach into God's word. He didn't want you to show up to church today. He doesn't want you to get in your word tomorrow. He doesn't want you to fall on your knees and pray and say, God, I need a key for this teenager. God, I need a key for this marriage. God, I need a key for this boss. God, I need a key for this situation. And Jesus is saying, just reach into the word and grab the key. I got it. Because all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And when God says all power, guess what? That leaves nothing for the enemy. We have everything to march forward. But that's why we are more than conquerors in Jesus' name. You see? We're not locked up. We're not bound. But I love this. Verse 20. And then Jesus, what does he say to his disciples? He gave this powerful, motivating word that just, man, let's go after it. And then he says to them, then he commanded his disciples. Didn't just tell them, he commanded them that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. What? You, the whole time we have this little debate, this little thing about who is Jesus, and then we settle who Jesus is, and then you're like, shh, don't tell anybody. Like, we don't talk about Bruno. Shh, shh, shh. I hate that song. My daughter over and over. I'm like, the song says don't talk about Bruno, so why are we listening about Bruno? Let's turn it off. You see... Jesus knew something about his disciples. He said, you guys, the reason he didn't want them to go is because they weren't ready. He didn't want them to go until they had a reason. You see, church, until we see Jesus for who he is, we will never have that authority. It's one thing to hear a message about keys. That's great. But if I hand keys to Cain, that's my four-year-old. He's like, great, dad. I'm going to flush him down the toilet. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's not ready. Some of you have gates that you're like, man, I want to conquer that gate of depression. Man, I want to conquer that gate. Are you ready? Because Jesus told the disciples, you're not ready. You need a reason. Because what happens over eight years? Can I tell you the amount of Sundays I wake up with imposter syndrome? You know what that is, right? Imposter syndrome is like, who am I to preach in front of God's people? Who am I to lead the church? Who am I to have a part in this? I, I don't belong up here. I wake up with imposter syndrome like, how did I marry such an amazing woman? How did I? Yeah, I get my brownie points. For sure. For sure. Man, this pulpit's good for a lot of things, man. I'm telling you what, where's our nursery at? Let's go. Right now. Let's go. Y'all, when we get our building, you're never going to let me in the nursery. You're going to be like, keep the pastor out of the nursery. This is for kids, y'all. Kids be in here. Don't be doing that. We sanitize. This is... Want to look around at the family, the friends, the life? <laughs> the things that God has done? Yeah, there's been difficult times, but I just step back and I'm just like, look how good God has been. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow. But there's been low moments, dark nights, 
Moments where, yeah, you're just like, whew, man, maybe I could work for In-N-Out. They pay like $22.50. It's simple. They got three items on the menu. I don't have to think much. It's like double-double. Even animal style, that might be a little much for me, but I think I could do it. Because Satan just gets to you at days. But then you come back to your reason why you're going to remain. You come back to the reason that God gave you. The reason was because there's no church like our church because our church has what no other church has, and that's you. It's you. You're the secret sauce. It's you. So yeah, I get hurt when people leave the church. I love it when people tell me, oh, it's not personal. I was like, yeah, it is personal. I'm about to hit you with my keys. Because I'm like... What are you chasing? Because what you're looking for, I already see it. Because those days where I was like, man, is anybody going to show up? Is God going to do anything? And now I just step back and I'm just like, how cool is this? There's something where once there was nothing. Like nothing. Like nothing, nothing. Like Ash, Rod, and Laura, there was nothing. Like yeah, you're like, wow. Thelma was there too, and Justin, and Nanai. They were all there. I'm surprised they're still here. They should be up here getting mugs and stuff. But God has been so good. And God continues to be good. Because we have a reason why we remain. You see, there's a story of three bricklayers. The great... London Chapel Church, St. Paul's Cathedral had burned down. And in 1671, someone's commissioned to rebuild it. And there was three bricklayers who were rebuilding it. And the architect went over to the first one and said, what are you doing? And he's saying, I'm taking bricks to build this cathedral so I can feed my family. Another person said, I'm making bricks to just provide for employment. I just need a job. The third bricklayer said, I'm building a cathedral. He had a great reason for why he was doing what he was doing. You see, why do we gather? Is it just to check it off a list? Or is it you understand what the church is out to do? Is that we need to be reminded that we have more authority than we thought. And the Bay Area should be a different place because of us. I don't like the trash on the road like you don't like the trash. I don't like my mail getting stolen by homeless people like you don't like it getting stolen by homeless people. I don't like crime. I literally told my wife the other day, don't go to Food Max by yourself. And then I was thinking, why am I going by myself? Like this, that's dumb, dumb, man. And then I went there early yesterday and there was a fight in, and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is worth it. It's Food Max, y'all. Like the food's already going bad by the time we buy it, you know, like. Why? Why? I don't like it. I don't like that they want to legalize prostitution, which is just paving the way for human trafficking. It's all it is. It's all it is. There's sick people out there. There's sick people out there. I don't like it. I don't like looking at the public schools thinking, man, what do people do that you're barely making ends meet? You, you want to put your kid in a Christian school, but you can't afford it. 
I'm thinking, man, Indiana, you look safe. <laughs> Country people over there. Like, and they all, they all are armed, so we're all good. Hopefully they can shoot straight. I went to a church. Guy in the choir was half blind, ex-sheriff. And he's like, don't worry, Micaiah, if anybody comes through that door, I got him. I was like, Barney Five, put it away, bro. Like, you were so blind, you're going to hit me. Nah, I'm going to the nursery with Jane. That's where I'm going. I'm going to beat that one to a dead horse. I'm just like, I'm just there. But God's given us a reason, church. And God's been good. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. We're the family of God. God's family. We don't need to be afraid about hell. Hell's afraid of you. It's not me. It's you. Yes, you who struggled. Yes, you who's tempted. Yes, you who failed. I've failed. I'm tempted. I struggle. But hell says if you ever figure out that you have the keys, everything changes. If you ever figure out that you're the owner and not the slave, everything changes. That you're in control, not out of control. Everything changes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you say, you know, I don't know Jesus Christ is my savior. And I want to say yes to him this morning. Is that you? You slip up a hand. Can we pray for you? Anybody like that today? I don't want you to come to service like this without saying yes to Jesus. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. At this time, we have some that are preparing for baptism. I'm going to invite those who are going to be baptized to be dismissed right now. You can, you can be dismissed right now. Maybe you have said yes to Jesus, but you haven't taken that next step in baptism. And what baptism simply is, is taking that next step in the relationship. There was a day where I proposed to Jane. We got engaged. That was private. But then there was February 20th, 2009, where we invited 200 people and we made it public. There comes a day where you take the relationship public with Jesus, and that's called baptism. If you have not taken your relationship with Jesus public, I'm going to invite you. You can be dismissed right now. We have clothes, shirts, shorts, everything you need to be baptized. You can be dismissed. You, you don't even have to go alone. We got people that are going with you. You got people back there. You say, my family's not here. My friends aren't here. We got a photographer. He'll take the pictures. One of the people that got baptized a couple months ago, that picture is now on a magazine that went national because everybody loved it so much. You might be famous. Who knows? That's a horrible motive, but you know, if that gets you baptized, you go do it. Go with God. But God wants you to take that next step and go public with him. So if you want to, we invite you to be dismissed right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for all that you're doing in your church. It's not mine. It's yours. This is your family. This is your body. These are your people. You want to build us, grow us. You want us to take new ground, reach more people, take down more strongholds, lay claim to more ground, show people the path of victory that we are the head and not the tail, that we are more than conquerors through you. And God, would you use Southridge Church, the most unlikely, the most underdog, the most outmatched, the most mismatched, motley crew that you're going to use for your kingdom that's going to topple this area. It's going to transform it. 
because you've given us the keys. So there's nothing that can stand in our way except for our own doubt and our own unwillingness to not go forward. So Father, right now, empower your people. Help them walk out with a new look of who they are and who you've called them to be and help them to reach into your word and pull out those keys this week and go after those strongholds. God, you are good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.